Thank you, Chris, for stepping in to help today. Uh, you are blessed uh, to have Kent and, and Chris here. Uh, both of them are, are not only good musicians, but both of them just really love the Lord, and I love those guys, and I'm grateful for them. Uh, if you've been out there today, I've been fist bumping instead of handshaking. Uh, I, I'm suffering from something. I guess it is the Kentucky flu. Uh, yeah, what a heartbreaking loss. Um, the, uh, my brackets are busted, you know, and now it's five months until football, and that doesn't mean anything. Uh, so we got seven more months to wait, uh, but uh, I got to give Indiana their due. Uh, they played well. I grew up in Henderson, Kentucky, which is right across the river from Evansville, Indiana. We did most of our shopping over there. If you had fun activities to do, you usually had to go to Evansville to do them. And so the red-blue rivalry was really big, especially because of chair-throwing obnoxious Bobby Knight. And uh, so, so, you know, I, I really am into the Kentucky-Indiana rivalry, but I'm into most rivalries. I love just an intense... Uh, competition between two rivals, and I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy college basketball so much, and I'll watch. If there's a big rivalry on, I will watch it. If Duke and North Carolina are on, I'm going to watch it just because I like to see that intensity. IU, Kentucky, uh, but especially the big rivalry for me now is UK and Louisville. It, it just is. You know, that, that, that rivalry, I, I think I've watched every game in the UK-Louisville series since uh, they started playing again, I guess, in the tournament in the early to mid-80s. I've seen every one of those games. I think every second of those games. Uh, but it, what's weird about this rivalry is I always rooted for Louisville. In my life, I did, except when they played Kentucky, I rooted for Louisville. If you're from Kentucky, I root for you. When I fill out my brackets, I, if there's a Kentucky team in, I know that I'm using my heart many times more than my head, and I will push them forward. If it's Moorhead or Murray or Western or Eastern or Northern, if those teams are in it, I'm going to be prone to root for them because they're from Kentucky. That's the way I am. I root for Kentucky schools. I rooted for Never Nervous Purvis and Louisville whenever Danny Crum won it, I think in 86, I believe, when he won. I, I, I rooted for them. I really did. But almost 10 years ago, something happened. Something devastating happened that changed the way I felt. Y'all know what happened. Uh, it was almost 10 years ago that Rick Bettino became coach of Louisville. Now, Rick Pitino was a favorite of Kentucky. Let's just be honest. He would have been able to win the governorship if he had so desired when he was coaching Kentucky. Uh, we, we, we loved him. And, and, and even when he decided to leave Kentucky, it was hard, but we got it. He wanted to go to the pros, and he wanted to go home to New York, and we understood that, and we supported him in that decision. But then he, because he failed in the pros, decided to come back and play a coach at the college level, uh, he could have gone anywhere he wanted to go. But he chose to go to Louisville, our rival. You know, the dirty Redbirds, Loserville, Little Brother, whatever you want to call them. He chose to go to Louisville of all places. I mean, this is like Luke Skywalker turning to the dark side. It is as bad as it can get. And quickly he became one of the most disliked people in the state because people felt betrayed. Guys, 
people don't take betrayal lightly. They, nobody likes a traitor. We might kind of laugh about it when it comes to basketball, but in life it's hard to take. If you tell a friend a secret and they use it to their advantage, I mean, that friendship's over. Or if a spouse says that they'll be faithful to death and then breaks their covenant, and it's hard to recover from that. Or if a coworker stabs you in the back to get in good with the boss, man, that, that can crush you. Or a preacher or a teacher lets you down, or a faithful employee steals money, or a parent chooses substance over you. Those things can be devastating. Betrayal is hard to deal with. Um, and, and I guess that's why it's safe to assume that none of you expecting parents are thinking about naming your children Judas. We just don't do that because almost all of us, whether you are from a a Bible church or not, we know that Judas Iscariot is, is associated with betrayal. Now, let me tell you his story if you don't know it completely. Judas was one of the 12 early disciples of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus began his ministry at age 30, he started calling on men to follow him, and he encouraged all people to follow him, but he particularly invested in 12 men. And to us, that number's not really that significant, but to them, it surely reminded them of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it revealed that Jesus had come to set up his kingdom on earth, a new kingdom. And, and there was great importance placed on these 12 men, and Judas is always listed among those 12. Uh, and even though he's listed last, doesn't mean he wasn't important because Judas was in charge of the money. Um, uh, now, the Bible teaches us that on the night that Jesus revealed that one of his disciples would betray him, Jesus whispers into Judas's ear, you're the one, Judas. And he tells him, whatever you're going to do, get on with it. Do it quickly. And he get, Judas gets up and he leaves the table. And, and when he leaves, none of those at the table knew what was going on. They didn't know why did you tell Judas to do what he's going to do quickly. And, and since Jesus kept the money bag, some of them thought, well, Jesus must have told him to go out and buy some stuff, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should go and take care of the poor. Now, some scholars have speculated Judas's handling of the money was what caused his betrayal, that that. Jesus, like most people who handled the money in churches, was extremely tight and frugal. And, and the scripture says that uh, earlier the day this happens, that a woman came to anoint Jesus. She took this expensive bottle of perfume and she broke it. She started pouring it on Jesus' feet. And the Bible says that the disciples, when they saw this, they became indignant. And they said, wait a minute, Jesus, this is not what we do with money. We could use this money that she's just wasting on your feet. We could use this to help the poor. And so many think that Judas was frustrated. Well, why, why am I trying so hard? Why are we giving up so much if he's going to let stuff like this happen? And they believe that this was the final straw. And Judas started to initiate the betrayal of Jesus. In Matthew 26, the Bible says that one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. And the chief priest say, hey, if you'll turn him over, we'll give you something in return. And they offer him 30 pieces of silver to turn Jesus over. Uh, the scripture tells us 
So they weighed out these 30 pieces of silver because Judas agrees to the deal. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray the Lord. Now Judas leaves and, uh, and, and, and gets the religious leaders. And while Jesus is in the garden, soldiers arrive. And there in the garden, while Jesus is praying, Judas betrays him with a kiss. Listen to what the scripture says. Uh, excuse me, the disciples were saying it's not I, but go ahead and go forward. Go ahead to the next slide, please. Yeah. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priest and the elders of the people. And his betrayer had given them a sign, the one I kiss, he's the one. They were looking for Jesus. It was dark at night there on the Mount of Olives. The one I go up to and kiss, he's the one. This will be a sign. So he goes right up to Jesus and, and he says, Greetings, teacher. Greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And then Jesus says, Friend, why have you come? Uh, and they came up and they took him and, and they arrested Jesus. Now, he, him saying why did they come is not for Jesus' sake. Jesus knows why they have come. He understands. The scripture says that then Judas, I'll go ahead to the next verse, then Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. When Judas was at the table, he said, It's not me, teacher. And Jesus knew Judas was the one. He knew he was going to do it. He knew it at the table. He knew it when he washed their feet. He knew it when he picked Judas as a disciple. He knew it before Jesus was born that this night was going to come. But did you notice how Jesus responded to Judas when he comes to the garden? He says, friend, why have you come? I don't know about you. I don't call people who betray me friend. I, I, that, that, that's just really foreign to me that he would look to someone who he knew was going to do this, who he knew would turn on him, who he knew was going to be the one that would ultimately lead to his arrest. And he looks at him and he says, friend. Now there's no doubt there was probably disappointment in Jesus, but this foresight of knowing surely uh, enabled him to handle this differently than us. But as I thought about this, this story of Judas, I began to look at it through a different lens uh, and a different set of eyes. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen, but the, the disciples didn't. Have you ever thought about this story from the disciples' eyes? They had felt kinship with Judas as one of their brothers. They reclined at the table, and now he betrays the Lord with a kiss. I guarantee you they felt the pain that we feel every time we're betrayed. You know what makes betrayal hurt so bad? It blindsides us. You just never see it coming. You, you, you don't see this, this pain coming. They, they trusted Jesus. I think he was the last one that they would suspect. You know why I think that? He kept the money. Let's be honest. If you come into church, if you come into Burlington, we're going to put you to work pretty quickly. We are. 
Man, you greeter? Hey, hey, get out there, man. You're friendly. You'll be a great greeter. Awesome. You can sing. You can play an instrument. Man, come on up here. Almost week one, we'll start plugging you into our choir. We'll plug you into our, 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 our praise band. We'll try to work with you. We'll do that. Work day? Man, we'll put you to work on work day. Oh, nursery help needed. Well, you've been here three weeks. We'll run a background check on you. It's all good. You know, we'll do that. But we don't let you take care of the money. Right? I mean, let's face it. People who handle the money have been in the church a long time. And you might say, yeah, those church people, they're just money. No, that's why you do your finances too. Listen, I, I don't give my debit card to people I don't know. I don't give my debit card to people I, I know well. I give it to my teenagers, which is a mistake often, but I trust them to do what they say they're going to do with it. I'll give it to my wife, but I can promise you I ain't giving it to any of y'all. Right? I hadn't known you long enough to do that. Judas had been given the purse. He was trusted with everything. And he turns on them. And you're talking about a side swiping, a painful feeling. When Jesus said, Somebody is going to betray me, what'd they do? What'd they do when Jesus said, Somebody's going to betray me? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They didn't all say, it's Judas. I knew it. I knew it. They didn't do that. It's got to be me. Can't be. Uh, If they had side conversations, I can hear them saying, maybe it was Peter. You know, he's always up and down. You know, that dude's crazy. Maybe it was him. or, or, Or maybe it was Matthew. You know, he used to be a tax collector. It's probably Matthew. Or maybe it's Thomas. You know, he's kind of doubting stuff and skeptical at times. Maybe it's Thomas, but not Judas. And see, that's what makes betrayal so painful. We don't see it coming. Uh, You know, I never thought my spouse would be unfaithful. I just didn't see how they could do that to me. Or I never believed that my best friend would turn on me, but that's what betrayal is. Betrayal is an ally turning on you. That's what betrayal is. A couple years ago, there was a basketball player from Auburn who was caught in a point-shaving scandal. It was on one of the 73 ESPN channels that we get at our house. And there was a late-night kind of like uh, uh, look back on this. But if you don't know what point-shaving is, that's where a man, uh, one of the players knows the Vegas line and they'll do something to try to make that that outcome go a certain way. You know, they'll throw the game or throw a few points so that people who are betting will, you know, win, guarantee the win. Well, they were interviewing some of the players on the team at Auburn that time, and one of the players, while I was watching this, he, he teared up. I mean, a couple years after, it's over, and he tears up, and he says, man, I thought he was on our side. That's the way betrayal is, isn't it? I thought they were on our side. I, I thought people on your team aren't supposed to hurt you. People on your team are supposed to work toward the same goal. You know, a girl tells her best friend she's interested in a certain guy, and later she finds out that her friend started talking to the guy herself before she ever got the opportunity. This is where the disciples were, one, one of us, Judas. How, how could you? 
I'm sure they felt what the psalmist said in Psalm 55. Now, it's not an enemy who insults me. Otherwise, I can bear it. I, I get that. It's not a foe who rises up against me. Or otherwise, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion, and my good friend. We used to have close fellowship. We, we walked in with the crowd into the house of God. We were on the same team. And yet you did that to me. Listen, betrayal turns your world upside down. You know, well, you work for a company for 20 years and you never call in sick and you stay late with no extra pay to get the job done. You give the very best years of your life and then they downsize you because you're not as much value to them as you used to be and you feel like you've been punched in the gut. Or someone has an affair. And, and listen, when a person has an affair, there is a guilt on the guilty party. Always. I've never seen a person who didn't feel some guilt. You know, embarrassment, something. There is guilt. But I want to tell you, listen, it affects the other person deeply. Their, their world is rocked. Security has been stolen from the innocent. When betrayal occurs, foundations are cracked and trust is gone. And I'm sure this had to be going through the disciples' minds. You know, listen, hours before, Peter had stood up and said, Listen, if everybody betrays you, Lord, I won't betray you. But then after Judas comes with a kiss and Peter's alone in the garden, or alone with the Lord in the courtyard as the Lord is being tried, all of a sudden his confidence, his security is, starts to wane. Man, if Judas did this, maybe everybody's going to check out. Another bad thing about betrayal is you just never forget that feeling. You know, it's kind of like eating fish. You know, I mean, you can't get rid of the smell or the taste. You know, I mean, it's just there. It sounds so good when you're going, and then after you eat it, it's like four days. You can still smell it. It lingers. That's what happened with the disciples, guys. Let's just face it. They never forgot this feeling. That's why. Who wrote, who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Disciples. Besides Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all influenced by a disciple. All of them. Whenever they list out the name of the disciples, Judas is always included. Where's Judas at? Last. Whenever they tell Judas' story, they always give a descriptor beside Judas' name. Judas the thief. Judas the betrayer. Judas the one condemned from the beginning. I mean, it's almost like every time they mention his name, it's like, Judas. You know, that's where they were with this. It was just, oh, something repulsive about him. He's mentioned in Acts as the one who handed over the Lord, the one who sold him out. It's almost, it's just like they can't stand to think about him. You know those emotions, and you know how strong they are when somebody has betrayed you. And even if you forgive, I'm not sure you'll ever completely forget the emotion of feeling betrayed. See, some people say forgiving and Forgetting are the same thing, that's foolishness. You can't really forgive unless you remember. See, forgiveness is choosing not to use what somebody's done to you to your advantage. Forgiveness is choosing to love somebody even though they've wronged you. Forgiveness is, is saying, I know what you did, you know what you did, God knows what you did, but I'm not going to use that against you anymore. That's forgiveness. It's not this some mental game where you don't remember something that's happened. If someone hurts you deeply, 
you might not ever get over that. I've talked to numerous people whose spouse has cheated on them. And even those who are able to reconcile don't get over this feeling. It's just there. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it's just there. We had a lady and her husband join our church at Edgewood. And I don't know, they had been there for a few months. They told me their story. And a couple months later, I get a call from the wife in a panic. And I said, what's wrong? And, you know, I immediately thought, oh, what's he done? And she said, he told me he would be home an hour ago. And I don't know where he's at. Guys, we laugh about that, but that's real. See, that wasn't because he was late for an hour and she was an overwhelming nag. That was because she'd been hurt deeply and her security had been shaken. It's what betrayal does to us. You see, the feeling of betrayal leads to distrust of others. Sometimes I wonder if this was a part of Thomas's skepticism. If Judas could turn out like that, then how do I know if any of y'all guys are telling me the truth? Betrayal can wreak havoc on its victim. And, and here's the hard part about betrayal. It, it's a possibility for every person. Nobody enters marriage thinking, you know, this person that I'm marrying today is probably going to get hooked on substances. Nobody enters marriage like that. Nobody takes a job and thinks, this person won't come through with a paycheck every week. You know, they, they won't tell me, I'm sorry, you work 40 hours a week, but we just don't have any money this week. Nobody lets a friend in close knowing that they're going to share deep secrets with another. And no one joins a church thinking the pastor's going to have a moral failure. As I preach this sermon today, because y'all know that pain. Y'all understand. Somebody you trust hurts you. It is what it is. How do you deal with that? How, how do you deal with those pain? Because what happens is this betrayal will cause you to lose faith in the next. And this betrayal will cause you to quit trusting anybody ever. And even sometimes this betrayal will cause you to quit trusting God. And this is where it rubs. Because we know it's not God's fault when something happens, a spouse, a preacher, a, a job. A, 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 we know it's not God's fault. We know, we know. But we have this tendency as human beings to flip things and turn them at God. How could you have let them steal from me, God? Why did you let my dad hurt our family? What did I do to deserve an unfaithful spouse? After I'd been at Edgewood in Hopkinsville a couple of years, I was looking at the inactive membership, and it was only about 50 years old, and we were only running about 200 people, but they had about 1,200 people on the row, and there was about 400 of them I hadn't met. So I called the staff together one day, the couple of us who were on staff, and I said, hey, tell me about these folks. Some of them have been there 15 years at the church. There was 150 out of those 400 people that they had no idea who they were. We started doing a little investigation, and we realized that out of those 150, almost 90% of them had dropped out between 1969 and 1972. That was when a minister at the church ran off with the secretary. 
and people became disillusioned and they just dropped out. Facing betrayal is hard. But here's a hard fact. It's a possibility for all of us. And my prayer is if you face it, you will turn to God instead of pushing away from it, from Him when it happens. Now, how can you handle a Judas moment? I would tell you first, God has to be the foundation of your life. If you build your life on anything other than God, you will set yourself up for devastation. The reason that Jesus has to be the foundation you build upon is because there's no other foundation that's fail-proof. Only Him. Your friends may fail, your family may dissolve, your work may dry up, our country may go under. Listen, there is no other fail-proof foundation. Only Him. Let's say your wife leaves you. I pray she doesn't. She might. Jesus won't. Let's say your boss lets you go. I pray he doesn't. He might. Jesus won't let you go. Let's say your friends betray you. I pray they don't, but they might. But Jesus will never betray you. Hebrews 13, 5, he said, He himself, I will never leave you or forsake you. Ever. You, do any of y'all know that person who doesn't fall apart when their life seems to be falling apart? Have you, any of y'all ever met that person that it's just like, they might not be smiles and roses. Was that a group in the 80s? They might not be all, cheery all the time, but they, sorry, get out, get out. But when the heat turns up, they're okay. Why? The presence inside is greater than the pressure outside. And so when the pressure comes, they're not crushed. Do you have a presence inside that is greater than the pressure you might face? A second thing I would tell you is not only keep God the center of your life, but don't project your anger onto God. Remember, God did not fail you. A person did whether that be in this church, at your work, in your school, or in your home. God did not fail you. A person did. Now, when a person fails you, I would encourage you not to try to get even. You may feel you need to get back at them. You know, to get over it, i got to get even, or I'm not going to get over it. You know, I, I had a stupid counselor one time. That's the technical term. I had a couple who I was dealing with went to a stupid counselor, and the woman had had an affair, and she told the man after three or four situations when he said, I just don't think I'm going to be able to get over it, she said, maybe you need to go have an affair, and then you'll be even. That's stupid. <laughs> I mean, two wrongs don't make a right, and it's not our job to get even. Romans 12, verse 17 says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what's honorable in everyone's sight. As much as it's up to you, live at peace with all men. And then the scripture says, don't avenge yourselves. Leave room for his wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. God says, yeah, I'm watching. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'll make things right in my time, not yours. I'll make things right in my way, not yours. I'll make things right for my glory, not yours. But I'll make things right. 
Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So let God deal with your betrayer. And also let God deal with you. I went through a hardship a few years ago. A really hard hardship. I was accused of something I didn't do. There's nothing more difficult than being accused of something you didn't do. Uh, I was accused by somebody in our church of something I didn't do. There's nothing more difficult than being accused by someone who's a friend. Lord was gracious. He made it abundantly obvious that I wasn't involved in our church. That's about the time our church went from about 250 to about 500. The Lord was just awesome. He showed up in amazing power. But I want to tell you, things were going great around me, but I was struggling inside. And I had a good friend. Everybody needs a friend who will speak truth into uh, into their life. I had a good friend who I played golf with, and he looked at me and he said, Nick, I'm worried about you. I was on the other side. The, 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 the threat of what was going on was gone. You know, the, the fear of looking like I'd done wrong was over, justified, da, 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 all that, yada, 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 yada. He knew there was something wrong in my heart because he said, Nick, what makes you special as a pastor is you love your people. He said, I'm afraid you're building walls where you're not going to trust people anymore. Here's the problem with betrayal. Sometimes we'll build walls where we project one person's failure on every person. And we won't love anymore. Don't let your love grow cold because somebody did you wrong. So we must ask God to keep our heart pure, to help us to love and to not shut people out. And I would encourage you to offer forgiveness to the one who's wronged you. Now, that doesn't mean you stay in a relationship. It doesn't mean that you don't still have to deal with your feelings. You will. It doesn't mean you're not going to allow this to dominate. Uh, No, excuse me. What it does mean is you're not going to allow this to dominate your thinking or your your life. It means that you're going to ask God to get rid of the feelings of bitterness and the thoughts of revenge. It means you're going to look forward instead of looking back. It means you're going to forgive as Christ forgave you. That's what it means. Now, whenever you preach on Judas, the question always arises, did Judas go to heaven or not? Right? Y'all ever heard that question? Have you ever thought that? Well, that, that comes up for a couple reasons. After um, Judas realizes that he had made a mistake, he goes back to the chief priest, and the Scripture says uh, in Matthew 27... Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned. This wasn't, maybe he was trying to force his hand. Maybe he was just trying to, okay, Jesus, I'm tired of waiting on you. It's time to move forward. Who knows why he did this? But he saw that he was condemned. He was full of remorse. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, we don't care. What's that to us? You deal with it. And then the scripture says that he threw the silver into the sanctuary and departed And he went out and he hanged himself. Some people would say that that was a moment of repentance. Uh, Maybe. But Jesus also said in Matthew 26, 
The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So what's the answer to the question? Was Judas forgiven or not? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I don't know. I, I really, I don't. But what I am sure of is that while we hate to be betrayed, we've all played the role of the betrayer. Every one of us here. We've all sinned and turned our back on the glory of God. And we've all decided that we care more about ourselves than we care about God's glory. And we've all rejected God's law and God's plan for our life and said that our plan and our self-created laws are what is right. But God in his mercy gave us a chance to repent. God in his mercy allowed Jesus, the sinless, to die for the sinful. And when all who believe, all who repent and believe, put their trust and faith in him, he says, forgiven, made new. You see, here's the hard part about being human. I can't get rid of betrayal feelings. But God is not like me. God can remove the wrath which he has stored up for every person who rejects him and he has it stored up. And he can remove that wrath and turn it into friendship. And the one which was once enemy of God can now stand in the position of friend of God, child of God, loved by God. But the question is, will the betrayer Turn to God and say, I'm sorry. That's the question. And the answer is not a church answer. The answer is an individual answer. You're the only one who can make that decision for you. Will you repent and believe? And if you do, the good news is, he'll never let you go. Ever. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather today. Thank you for your word, which is true. Thank you for forgiveness, which you have offered freely. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to stand before you as your child. Father, I pray that we would represent you when we are betrayed by others. May we love, forgive, and Lord, may we continue to be faithful even when those around us are not. And God, if I'm honest, I have to confess that Lord, and you know this already, but there are times I'm the faithless one. Not only to you, but also to others. Lord, I thank you that even though I'm faithless, you are faithful. We praise you for that today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.